This is the Sermon Podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. From the first book of Kings. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God asked, What shall I give you? And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, my father, David, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love, and have given him a son to sit on his throne today. And now, O Lord, my God, You have made your servant king in place of my father David, although I am only a little child. I do not know how to come, go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of the people whom you have chosen, a great people so numerous they cannot be numbered or counted. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, able to discern between good and evil. For who can govern this your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. God said to him, Because you have asked this, and not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, I now do according to your word. Indeed, I will give you a wise and discerning mind. No one like you has been... no. No one like you has been before you, and no one like you shall arise after you. Holy Wisdom, Holy Word. The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the sixth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust consume, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consumes, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in wealth. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and let your heavenly Father feeds them. And are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it's the Gentiles who strive for all these things, 
And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and God's righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Grace and peace be yours through Jesus, our Savior. Amen. I want to talk about Solomon today. He's, he's mentioned in two of our readings, um, which is what we actually were hoping for, hoping, not planning. We were hoping for this serendipitous connection between the first two readings every week, which are assigned by, by the lectionary, and then for this five weeks, we were going to focus just on one gospel reading from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in a series that we're calling More Than Enough. Um, This is the fourth of the five-week series. It's focused on a subject that is admittedly both a huge blessing and a bane for the human condition. Uh, Cats and dogs, and as Jesus noted, birds of the air, don't store up treasures on earth. My first parish was in a rural parish when I ever offered something about animal husbandry. There was always someone in about the second grade who would correct me. And when I, when, I, when I read this lesson for the first time and said that, and they corrected Jesus by saying, yes, they do, Pastor. Squirrels hide nuts. Dogs hide bones. Even birds of the air make nests. And they were right. But they'd kind of forgotten about it. And in the second grade, thankfully, maybe didn't even know that they don't compare nests. They don't compare bones. They don't worry about where they bury them. But we do. Um, we store up things, lots of things, and money, which is sigmatic of things, and, and we compare them to others, and we worry about them constantly. And so when you hear Jesus say something so straightforwardly that you can't miss the point, don't worry about tomorrow, and we know that we all worry, um, that's what's called being relevant, and we ought to talk about that a little bit. Um, So, toward that end, Jesus compares a single lily of the field, which are beautiful this time of year, one single lily to Solomon, to to King Solomon and all of his glory. Now, that is the only time in the entire New Testament that Solomon is referred to ever. Solomon is one of those really complex figures in Judaic history. Most of us, at best, have a kind of a caricature understanding of Solomon. We might know him as King Solomon or the wisdom of Solomon or sometimes even the wealth or the power of Solomon. But we really rarely ever talk about Solomon in worship. We rarely ever, this is the only reading, the first reading, do we ever bring Solomon up. And the reason for that is because most of the story of Solomon isn't fit for public consumption. It's, um, it's not PG. It's hard to read in public with young people. And, um, and how do you just even talk about that with you? I want parents to know I'm choosing my language carefully. Um, Solomon had 700 wives. Let that one sit there for a moment. So much for the one man, one woman thing. 700 wives. And Solomon had a couple of thousand concubines. Um, says something about virility. And not to mention, Solomon has written one book in the Bible, 
which ought to encourage a lot of couples to read the book because it's uh, called The Song of Solomon and it's this very personal and very racy love story, the song of his love. Uh, Solomon, uh, his father was David, who was the first king of Israel. That's why our first reading is in 1 Kings, the third chapter. David is the first king. His son Solomon is the second king. And his dad, his dad was very powerful, very successful, but as everyone knew, he had really screwed up. He had screwed up in a big way. Um, early on, he had committed adultery um, with a woman named Bathsheba who was married to someone else. And, and then when he didn't want people to find out, he had her husband Uriah sent out to battle in a battle that he knew he would get killed, uh, which was murder. Um, so he committed adultery, he committed murder, and yet he's the king of Israel. And God sends a prophet named Nathan to confront him and to do it publicly. I want to be really clear here, we could use a little bit more of that in the world that we live in. David comes to his senses after Nathan points the finger at him, and he repents, uh, and he is forgiven by God. But there are consequences. Uh, he remains the king. God promises that I will love you and forgive you, and you shall die peacefully someday as king. But the consequence is that you're not going to do anything else for my kingdom. You're, you're not going to build the temple that you dream of building. Your heir is going to build the temple. Well, the heir is actually not Solomon. The heir is Absalom. Absalom um, seeks power a little earlier, and his father has him murdered. And Solomon has a couple older brothers who, when his father dies, they try to do the same thing, and they are executed. And right at the very end of his life, as he's dying peacefully, David chooses Solomon and says, Solomon, whose mother happens to be Bathsheba, Solomon will be the king of Israel. Now, the point of me telling all of that to you is that uh, none of this first reading is actually happening in a vacuum. And if you just hear it as that, and it's just like a little teaching moment about prayer or something, it's not going to make sense in the same kind of way. Solomon has a family of origin. Solomon has issues in his life. Solomon's been around the block. He's seen things. And like all of us, he learned some things that he wished he hadn't learned. And he wished he had learned some things that he hadn't. And he's nervous about that. He's worried about that. He's anxious. Because when he is made king, just exactly like his father when he slew Goliath, he's very, very young. He's a, he's a teenager. And it doesn't start off well for him. You can, you can read more about the whole story in chapters 1 and 2 of 1 King. But in short, he, the first thing he does as king is he marries um, an Egyptian pharaoh's daughter. In Judaism, you, you marry within Judaism. You don't, you don't marry outside of it. It's a big no-no, and he's getting a lot of pushback, and people are saying, maybe you're not the king. And so he's getting more anxious by the moment, and he, what he decides to do is he goes off to a place called Gibeon. You heard, heard that in the first lesson. It's a, it's a holy place. Remember, the temple's not around yet. Uh, it's where God once made the sun stand still all afternoon during a battle when the Israelites beat the Amorites. Um, and, and Solomon goes there, and he lights a bunch of incense, and he makes a bunch of sacrifices. Now, I think that's really interesting because uh, Solomon's the one who's going to build the temple, and Solomon's got a fondness for sacrifices, as you're about to hear. Um, and it's Jesus who eventually will say, there don't need to be any more sacrifices, and Jesus is the one who destroys the temple, rips the curtain in two. 
Now listen, listen to the verses right before the reading today. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given by his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and he burned incense on high places. And the king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place he knew. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on the altar. That's a lot of dead pigeons, okay? And then he decides he's just going to sleep there amidst all the incense and all the carnage. I'm going to do some religious things. I'm going to give a little. I'm going to say some prayers. And then, God, you're going to tell me what I need to know. No, we all know the next part of the story. It's right when the microphone just kicked in at that point. Um, here's how you know the story, and it's, it's, a, it's a myth story that you know, you know it in a thousand different ways, but this is the story. You know the story of the genie in the bottle? Comes out of the bottle, makes the wishes, Aladdin's lamp, yada, yada, yada. All of that comes from this very story, this very story. It comes from an Arabic folk tale uh, based on this story, called uh, 1001 Nights in, in Arabic or Arabian Nights in English. And in the middle of that, that, that tale, there's a story about a genie, which is a supernatural being, that gets in a fight with Solomon, and Solomon's a smarter one, and Solomon puts the supernatural genie into a bottle, seals it with the seal of Solomon, throws it into the ocean, and then eventually some sailors open it and, and they're granted their wishes because God answers Solomon's prayers. All that comes from this story. The Lord appears to Solomon in a dream. He's been offering all this incense, making all these sacrifices. And this is what the Lord says, ask what I should give you. Now that's not the same as make three wishes. And it's not the same as what do you want? What do you want is a question. It's an interrogative ask what I should give you is an imperative. Tell me what you want. My hunch is that the difference between those two things scared the bejabbers out of Solomon. Now, I get to sit with these lessons for, for a week, and I know what it's been doing to me, but I want to invite you to just uh, think for a moment about your wish list. Your uh, open the bottle if we could do it right now, this is what we would do, honey. Uh, what, what are you working for? What are you dreaming about? Where do you hope to go? What do you hope to own? What do you hope to buy? Uh, think about what your dream is, what you want. And then picture God looking right at you and say, hold it up here a minute. Let me see that. Go ahead, ask. And picture you saying, more. I just want more, more. This ain't a genie in a bottle, and God's not giving Solomon a black blank check for anything that he wants. And it's definitely not one of those prosperity schemes. You know, if I scratch your back, God, then you'll give me what I want, and I'll be as rich as Solomon, right? It's not that. It's none of that. This is Solomon coming to grips with God, and God wanting to know, what's really going on with you. What's clear is that this young, bright, beautiful Solomon has had already just enough wisdom and just enough awareness of his family, of his 
cultural environment of his religious system. He knows just enough and is wise just enough to know that something is not right about this. And for whatever reason, and maybe, maybe he, even he was just afraid, he does not make three wishes for himself. In fact, there's no me in his answer. No me whatsoever. It's all about we. I'm just a kid, he tells God. I, I don't know nothing, how to go in, how to come out. You've made me the leader of all of these people, all of these great people. Give me some understanding, some wisdom, some compassion. Give me some ability to discern between good and right so that I can lead all of these people. It's all we. It's not about me. Now, Maybe you're looking for a prayer for public leaders right now. I was looking for one at about 1.30 in the morning this week, and God knows that they needed. I would suggest that Solomon's prayer might be a good one. Give them understanding minds, God. Give them wisdom and compassion. Give them the ability to discern between good and evil. Help them understand the difference between me and we, between more for me and mine, and more than enough for everyone else. So that's really the whole point of the whole 10, 10, 80 paradigm. I know it sounds like fundraising stewardship. That's not really what the point of this series is about. Uh, Share, save, spend. Share the first 10% or more. Spend the next 10%, next is the key word. And then spend the rest, but never on just me and never on just mine, but always concerned about we because that's the recipe for not worrying, and that's the recipe for not spinning and toiling and laboring in vain. That's the recipe for enjoying life. Here's how God answers young Solomon. God gives Solomon exactly what he asked for. I give you a wise and discerning mind like no one before you and no one who will come after you. Wow. Now, God acts in mysterious ways. We, we all know that's kind of our code word, right? But in this case, it ain't mysterious at all because God actually explains to Solomon, takes the mystery out of it, tells him, here's why I'm giving you what you asked for. Take the bulletin home, if you would, this week, or open up your Bible, your Bible app, or whatever, and just read that story and hear what Solomon's asking and put it next to the teaching of Jesus and the lilies of the field, and you'll see why Jesus put them together. God explains why God answered this particular prayer. And here's, here it is again. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. It pleased God. Writer first and second Kings give five reasons why it pleased the Lord. Uh, two of them are positive, three of them are negative. First, the writer of Kings says, because you asked for this. The thing that you ask for, an understanding mind, wisdom, compassion, you know that you can't do it. You know you need my help. You asked for the right thing. You came to the right place. There is a God. You know that you're not it, and I'm it. You know you need me, and you asked for the right thing, so I'm going to give it to you. Second, because you did not ask for a long life for yourself. You know you're called to be a good steward of your body and everything else in life, but I'm the one who determines longevity, not you. And third, because you also did not ask for riches for yourself. Because it's not just about you. It's not just how much you save and how much you spend. It's not just me. It's always we. 
And fourth, it doesn't have as much to do with more than enough, but rather it has to do with vengeance, because you did not ask for the life of your enemies, because you didn't gloat because you won, because you didn't bear grudge, because you didn't go to that eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth thing, which, by the way, Jesus already negates in the Sermon on the Mount earlier. And finally, because you asked for moral fortitude, spiritual wisdom, because you asked for understanding so that you could discern what was right and what was wrong, and that's what leaders do. I, I wish I heard more conversation in the public sector about what is right rather than how much it costs. This is Jesus. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness and all of these other things, they'll be given to you. Now, up to now, this is, this is where this sermon gets really tricky here. Um, I want to be really clear what Jesus doesn't say today. Jesus did not say this. Jesus did not say, be wise, make good decisions, care about others as much as you care about yourself, give 10%, save 10%, be generous to God and others, invest wisely, and if you do all those things, then I'll give you everything you ask for. This is what Jesus said. Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow and how they don't toil and they don't labor and they don't spend. I'll add, nor are they generous, nor do they invest wisely, nor do they harm their neighbors or help their neighbors. But I tell you, says Jesus, even Solomon, with all of his glory and wisdom, was not clothed, arrayed, blessed as beautifully as one of these flowers. It's a very fine line today, very fine line. It often is in the gospel law paradigm. Um, This is law, yes. Love God, love your neighbor, that's law, that's, that's the law. Exercise wisdom and compassion, be good stewards, live more for we than me. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God, share, save, spend. All of those things are built into the fabric of creation. Knowing those things and doing those things puts us in harmony with that, but all of it's law. We should heed the law, but that's all that it is. Gospel, here's what gospel sounds like. Are you not of more value than sparrows? Can you picture like a child sitting on their dad's lap with tears in her eye and the dad saying, you know you're more valuable to me than that. And unless you're an ornithologist, uh, someone who loves birds, you, you might have missed that Jesus is doing a, a parallelism. You might have missed that Jesus also said, do you not know that you're of more value, more beautiful than even Solomon? the smartest, wealthiest, wisest person that ever lived? You are. You are of precious value to me. All people are. Regardless of your past, regardless of your family of origin, good or bad decisions that we've made or our parents made, you are of value to God. Frankly, I think every one of us, I, it, it's, it's, it's too uh, smiley to have you turn to each other, but to just, to just whisper it out loud, um, don't worry about tomorrow. Just don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to bring enough troubles of its own. Here's the way Paul said it. It's what Brett read so well for us. In all these things, we're more than conquerors through God who loves us. 
For I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor genies in a bottle nor the present nor the future nor any powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation is going to be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You are more than enough already. Uh, You have more than enough. And your heavenly Father knows what it is that you need. Amen.